Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I'm joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. How you doing, Neil? I'm doing fantastic. It's uh, April Fool's Day, right? And uh, and we made it through and survived uh, everything. And it's uh, a new month, an exciting month. Uh, spring is sprung, and where are we going next? Who knows? Again, next week, we will be in Vegas, and uh, it'll be an interesting experience. Oh man, I, we have there's so much going on there. Wait till I talk to you after this about some of the the things that have happened that they're going to happen. Even they're just happen fast and furious. So the first quarter is behind us, second quarter is in front of us. I think it's going to be an unbelievable rest of the year. So me too. Really looking forward to that and seeing you down there and uh, some of the other people we're going to be meeting with. But um, so we're getting rock and rolling here today. And unfortunately, you know, we got to kind of take it down a notch because you know we always take a look at the safety news during the week and things that have been going on and. You know, unfortunately, there are always some bad things that are happening in the world. And one of the most upsetting pieces of news comes from South Carolina, where a female student by the name of Samantha uh, Josephson was killed by a man that she most likely believed was her Uber ride home. And so, you know, our deepest condolences go out to the family and we hope that they get some answers because they have, you know, they, they've caught the suspect and we can only hope that justice is served swiftly. But it's uh, it's scary and it just illustrates that you can never be too safe no matter where you are, even when you, you know, you're thinking that you're uh, you're in good hands. And, uh, and you know, there was that. And then uh, as if the uh, the sexual assault landscape couldn't any get any crazier and the Me Too movement needed any more fuel. Uh, we have former Vice President Joe Biden, who has now been accused by a second woman, uh, woman of uh, saying that he has touched her inappropriately. And the one is saying, you know, he kissed her without her consent. And there have been some numerous videos of the former VP circulating. And it appears that he was a very touchy-feely with a lot of women over the years. So that, I'm sure, is going to damage his credibility and his standing and whether or not he decides to enter the the presidential race, but you know, it's like nobody, nobody is immune. And then of course there was something that just came across a few hours ago. Uh, Cause I'm always monitoring my safety talk podcast site that has updating safety news from all over the world coming in every hour. So if you're not aware of that, please take a look at that. Uh, but uh, there are some gruesome findings out in North Dakota where four bodies, three men and a woman were found inside a property management company. And there are really no further details right now, but again, it's another example of a disturbing report of a multiple homicide. We don't go why, but no why, but I'm sure we'll be learning more. And school shooting. Well, this one, thank God, was not a a mass shooting, but a student out in uh, Prescott, Arkansas, allegedly shot another student in a premeditated attack on that specific oh, student. Oh, wow. Was yeah, that so in was, the classroom or outside? Uh, it happened in the school. School went into lockdown. They've caught the student. Thank God. The good news is that the, the student that was shot is alive. He's in stable condition. So uh, that's the good news. But, you know, 
we know that people do bad things, I guess, is kind of where I'm going with all this. And sometimes, you know, bullying can be the cause of violence and even active shooters. And our guest today will be talking about some of this and some other interesting topics with uh, related to relationships and how various forms of power can be used to control others. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, conflict management styles and how to avoid being drawn into a conflict. So I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting show. So to introduce our guest, uh, Dr. Cletus Bullock is a retired Ohio School Superintendent and Associate Professor Emeritus at the University of West Georgia. He holds master and doctorate degrees in education administration, and he also operates his own consulting agency called the Professional Development and Assessment Center. And the PDAC provides training to improve leadership skills in human relations, conflict management, which is a biggie, and group management. He's also authored numerous articles in educational journals. He's co-authored two books, and He's got a very impressive resume with extensive experience spanning over five decades as a teacher, as a professor, as a superintendent, and of course now CEO of his own consulting agency. So, uh, And finally, he's also served in the 82nd Airborne Division. So, sir, I want to thank you for your service on behalf of myself and all of our listeners. So welcome to Safety Talk. Hey, you've done a great background check on me. <laughs> That's why he's the security guy. Safety and security, he has to do that. I know who I bring on my show. I need to know, right? Psychology, which is how individuals um, behave in groups, which is probably where all of my stuff comes from. Um, uh, bullying behavior. There is a survey on my website that measures bullying behavior in schools, and it is free. Any school system out there can get it and, and measure the degree to which bullying behavior occurs in their schools. So. That's a great resource. And I understand a lot of the stuff on your website is free. So we're going to be on your show. Yeah, we're glad to uh, to have you here, doctor. Um, you've been involved with education your entire career. And, you know, since we so often discuss school safety and are confronted with it in the news so frequently, I, I knew you'd be a great guest for the show today. Okay. So let's uh, we'll, we'll jump right in. And, you know, we've got this last piece of news here. I mentioned it as we kicked off. Uh, and something that you you talk about and have written about is is being able to identify potential shooters and maybe the, and the role that bullying might play. Because we know that, you know, kids that are bullied, sometimes they, you know, these things sort of fester. And, and I'll let you sort of talk about your insights into the role that bullying might play with some of these these mass shootings that we've seen. And continue to see. Or is your name Pete or Neil? This is Pete. Oh, Pete and Cleet. Pete and Cleet, and Neil's here with us too. <laughs> there, I had one other partner way back when, Pete and Cleet, and uh, we had a ball together. So it's it's great to be on your show, uh, Pete. Um, identifying the bully, the victim, is very important in most schools, and they don't do it. Uh, back in the 50s, a, a thing came up called the sociogram. The sociogram identified the kids in a school that had no friends. Well, <laughs> you know who the bully attacks? Sure. Someone who has no friends. So a school, and it's chapter six in book number two, where I describe how to do the sociogram. And it's very simple. The teacher goes to the kids in their classroom and says, 
if you're going to have a birthday party, who would you invite? And he gives the kids three three-by-five cards. And the kids write the name of the kid they'd invite on the cards. Teacher picks up all the cards and throws them in the common piles and finds out that there are two kids in her class who aren't invited. Oh, wow. Isn't that simple? That is very simple. And it identifies. Counselor does that for the entire school, which is what a counselor should do. Identify the the kids in their school who have no friends, who need help, who need counseling. That's what counselors are supposed to do. Okay. Sure. So the counselor can do the same process for the entire school and identify the three, four, five kids in the school who have no friends. These kids are the victims of the bully. The bully only picks on kids who have no friends. Uh, Oh, it was not only two months ago on Facebook. We have this um, Facebook page for our community. We're in a gated community. And he gets on and says, my kid's being bullied at school. I'm new here and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, have your daughter invite three or four kids over for a sleepover so she can have friends. And once she has friends, the bullies won't bother her. A week later, he says, oh, God, you you would not believe what has happened. My daughter is no longer being bullied. Okay. Wow. So what you need to do for school systems across the United States is you need to identify who the kids are in your school who have no friends. Now, this is what I did as a school superintendent and as a principal, okay? When a new kid came into school, I always assigned them a buddy. No kid came into our school alone. They had a buddy. And if I found out that a kid was being bullied, I assigned a couple of kids. I would go to my leadership team and I say, so-and-so needs a friend. Which one of you guys or people, girls, uh, is are, are willing to help this kid? And that my leadership team always did that. They would go to this kid and they would make sure that they were okay. That's fantastic. And in too many schools, I don't think, as you said, they're not doing exactly, that today, and, yeah. and they should be. And so no, why, why, why are they afraid to do it, do you think? You have kids yeah. after kids who, are, um, who come into new schools, and they come in alone. Um, so why don't you think schools are doing that today? Well, they're so busy dealing with their problems that uh, they don't think about it. What is it like for a new kid to come into your school? A new kid comes into your school, maybe a thousand kids, and you got one kid coming in. How's that kid going to feel that first day, the second day? Where's the locker? Where's this and where's that? If you assign them a buddy, a friend, to help them through that first week, it makes that transition into that new school so much better. And we always did that at our school. Uh, that's that's yeah. awesome. My wife's a school teacher, and they often have new children coming into the school. And 
you know, they're an outsider. As you said, they don't know the school. They don't know the layout. They don't know what to do, where things are. And when I was a kid, I moved around several times. And the last time was halfway through fourth grade. Well, you can imagine what it's like coming into a school halfway through the year at fourth grade yeah. with kids that all have those relationships all established. They've known each other for years. And now who's this kid coming in here? You know, who's he? Where's he from? And you don't know what runs through kids' heads, but, you know, kids can yeah. be mean, <laughs> you know, as we know. There is nothing uh, meaner. There is nothing yes. meaner than kids. But no, I, that, yeah. that would have been yeah. great for me if somebody had said, exactly. hey, you know, so-and-so is going to take you around, show you to school, show the cafeterias yeah. and all of these things. Man, it would have made life a lot easier for some, me. Some yeah. private schools do do that, and they uh, they, they, that. they try to go ahead. Uh, some private schools de- definitely do do that, and they provide that as a an atmosphere where it's open to these relationships and try to, to, to bring those relationships out. It's the job of the teacher, too. A homeroom teacher, especially in the elementary schools, to do it as well. Yeah, it should be the culture of the school. It should start right at the top. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Cleet, that that's something that needs to to happen right at the school, at the at well, the that's... upper level, and then it should trickle down and say, "This is how we do it." You're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, when I got the contract to evaluate every school district in this in the state of West Virginia in 2002. I interviewed thousands and thousands of kids and teachers. What do you like about your schools? What don't you like about your schools? And it all boils down to human relations. Um, uh, yes, and, and that's a, a section here that uh, you've got quite a bit of information on that definitely would like to dive in with you. Uh, you talk about whether it's a love type of relationship or a business relationship or the parental relationship or with friends that there are four factors that that come into play there. Maybe you could explain them a little bit. Sure. Uh, Actually, all human beings have five basic needs. And this has been talked about since the 18th century. If you go back into the web and look up uh, basic needs, Nietzsche, N-I-E-T, Y-Z-C-H-E, I think is the name, Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. a famous philosopher. He's the first one to appear on the web to talk about life's five basic needs, okay? And he said, he reviewed the philosophers who had talked about this before him. And the first philosopher on the web to talk about this said, why do people behave the way they do? That's been a question in philosophers' minds for forever. Okay, why do people behave the way they do? The first philosopher, and I don't, there's no name there. Um, he said, well, people behave the way they do because they want to live. They want to be free of stress. They want to be uh, freedom from terror. They want to be, well, they want to feel good in their environment. That's number one need, Okay. So it's life itself at the bottom of that is fear for your life, okay? Number one. The second philosopher comes on and says, well, that's true. But people want to be happy. Sure. You can't be happy all the time, but life with no happiness is no life. So you got happiness as need number two, life itself, and Terror and freedom from anxiety as need number one. 
along comes Nietzsche. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, yeah, I agree with all that. But it's power. People want power. Yes. And if you think of what's happening, uh, who's our other fellow on here? Is that uh, Neil? Neil? Yes. Okay, Neil. Hi, Neil. Hey, how are you? Okay. Um, if you think about what's happening in, in, uh, with President Trump today, with Congress, uh, with uh, Mexico, right. with Iran, yes. with North Korea, and China, it's all about power. No, most definitely. And so you think that's a bigger need than those other needs uh, that you talk about? That, I don't know that it's a bigger need. But it's, it's a big one. <laughs> it's what drives lots of people. It's what drives mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And you've seen uh, there have been a number of books written about this. Moby Dick was a, a famous book written about power. Uh, Heart of Darkness was another one written about power. Ultimate power corrupts. Okay. Thank yes. goodness Trump doesn't have ultimate power because we don't want him to corrupt. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Kim Jong Un has ultimate power. He is corrupted. He is corrupted. Yeah, he does whatever he wants, and that's President a of China is corrupt. The leader of Iran is corrupt. Uh, and on and on. Ultimate power corrupts. Okay. Um, now, I equate power with control. What do you want to do with power? You want to control. There are nine forms of power. There are only nine forms of power. That's chapter four in book number one. And if you want to see that chapter, send me an email and I will send it to you. You don't have to buy the book. Um, Five of the nine forms of power are freeing forms of power. You use those forms of power to motivate people to get them to do what you want them to do, and they are free to do it. When they don't do it, you go to the four controlling forms of power. Now, as a leader, the secret to being a leader is to give control to people without giving it up. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Now, when you give control to people and they don't do what you want them to do, you have to take it back. And you have to control them. Because if you don't use your controlling forms of power, you lose your leadership. I'll give you a simple example. Um, Mother and father, okay? Mom and dad. Got three kids. One of the kids does something they're not supposed to do. Mom says, you wait till your dad comes home. (laughs) I'm going to tell him. I'm going to let him take care of it. Dad comes home. Mom goes to dad and says, you know what your kid did today? She explains it. And the dad says, well, I don't see what's so bad about that. I did that when I was a kid. <laughs> I think we just ought to let this go. What happens to mom's power? Sure. It just got She's, taken away. <laughs> completely, completely undermined. And that, that really destroys a lot of up. things where that administrations do it. Or teachers, where it depends, yeah. Today, 
The teacher sends a kid to someone at the office for discipline, and the disciplinarian does nothing. So the, the four controlling forms of power are connection power, position, reward, and coercion power. When a teacher gets hired or when a parent has a kid, they have position power, right? Sure, as the parent. Okay. With position power, they give they they acquire reward and punishment power, right? Yep. Okay. Connection power is the most intriguing one because when parents don't support each other, position, reward, and coercion power gets diminished. And the kids use it. You can go into Walmart any day <laughs> and look at kids where parents who have position power, you remember I said the secret to being a leader is give control without giving it away, have given away their position power. You see it all the time. Yeah. The kids have the power. Yep. So the secret to being a good leader is uh, give control to those who are under you without giving it away. And you give control with the five freeing forms of power. And here they are, and I'm just going to run through them. And if you want to go back on them and have me explain any of them. Information, which is what we're doing right now. Okay. Absolutely. Expertise is when we demonstrate how to do something. Golfers do it. You see it on TV every day, somebody demonstrating how to do something. And people say, oh, I, I like the way they do that. I can do that. And then you have personality power. And I can, Pete, I can just see from looking at you on Zoom that you are a great personality. <laughs> Thanks. People will do things because they like you, right? I like to think so. All you <laughs> Tell my wife that. <laughs> Yeah, even your wife likes that. No, oh, no, I said you got to tell her that. Yeah. <laughs> you ask and people say, oh, yeah, I can do that. Thank you. Um, it's freeing, but it's a form of power. Eagle power is a great form of power. You stroke somebody's ego, and I'm sure you've never done that, Pete. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you say, oh, you did a great job with that last year. How about help me out? And they there say, you go. Oh, yeah. Were you doing a great job on this interview? I must say. <laughs> well, <laughs> ego power is uh, a form of power. Absolutely. Uh, you stroke somebody's ego. And here's the crazy thing. You know, over my years, when I was a college professor, I always gave this talk on power. How to get people to do what they're supposed to do. How to motivate them. How to control them. You're the leader. And I had eight forms of power. And I says, anybody got another form of power? I want to hear it. I, and one day, some guy says, yeah, I got another form of power. I says, what? He says, it's eagle power. I says, whoa, tell me about that. And he told me about the ego stroke. Sure. He says, there's another part of that that you don't know about. He says, it's the negative ego stroke. I says, what? He says, if you use the negative ego stroke on the right person, it's the most powerful form of power. 
I says, well, give me an example of that. He says, well, you know, I coach, I've been a coach for 20 years. And once in a while, I will use the negative ego stroke. I says, well, give me an example of that. He says, well, just last week, we were playing basketball against this team across town that I thought was better than we were. And I said, you know, I says, folks, boys, we've got to play this team across town, and I think they're better than we are. I'm not <laughs> sure we're going to be able to beat them. And the team okay. looked at me and said, what do you mean, coach? We can whip their ass. We'll take them on. There you go. The negative ego stroke. And in my book, um, I use Muhammad Ali as the ultimate example of that. When Muhammad Ali, or Cassius Clay at that time, was in the fourth grade, his teacher said, you'll never amount to anything. Negative ego. When he won the gold glove in the 19 Olympics down in Cuba, guess where he went the first time he came back to town? To that teacher. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Love. He says, you remember when you said I'd never amount to anything? The negative ego stroke is a very powerful form of power, but it has to be used on the right person. Right, in the right situation. But yeah. you could see how that could definitely be, be very is. powerful. So it we have one more, right? It is manipulation. And if you are perceived as a leader of being a manipulator, it's all lost. So is that the fifth manipulation? Nobody likes to be manipulated. So it. So is that is that the fifth? Because you had information and then the experience. No, that's the fourth. That's right. Oh, I didn't know ego, manipulation. So you got ego, one more. Ego power is the. There are two forms of ego power. There's the negative ego stroke and the positive ego stroke. Okay. The fifth one is the most important one. It's called moral power. What is the right thing to do? Okay. So when all of your listeners out there, all of them have families, all of them have jobs, all of them one way or another are connected somewhere. What is the right thing to do in your family, with your kids, in your business? where you work. Do people I, know what the right thing is to do? If they do, moral power is in place. Now, what in I, the martial arts, we talk about the right way. Yeah. And that's, you know, being someone who doesn't do things that are going to be detrimental to somebody. They, they always look for the right way to defend the weak and all of that kind of stuff be, and to be a good person and have a, a high moral compass so that you are a good person. So it's interesting that, that you would also say yeah. that. Um, the crazy thing is many people don't know what the right thing is to do. So when I was a teacher, I would go to the kids and I would say, what do you want the rules to be in this classroom? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so how do you how do you teach that? So that they how do you teach well, that? Yeah. Um in many cases, uh school systems have these uh handbooks that lay out all the rules, but nobody ever reads them. Right, but they say they have them. <laughs> As a teacher, I would go to the kids and I say, What do you want the rules to be in this classroom? And I have them three 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 by five cards, and you can have 
four or five or whatever, or four by seven or whatever cards you want. And I would say, what do you want the rules to be in this classroom? And they would say, you want us to tell you what the rules are? I said, yeah, I want to know. And they would write their rules and I would get them and I'd throw them in the comment files because there's one rule on each card. And I'd paraphrase what was in each pile and I'd put the rules up on the board. And when the rules went up on the board, they'd say, oh, my God, I wrote that rule. That's my rule. That's my rule. That's my rule. All around the classroom. Right. You'd see their rules up there. So when the kids broke the rules, whose rules were they breaking? Interesting. They're wrong. Mm -hmm. You see, the, uh, the secret, and this is where Donald Trump does not seem to get the message. You are a servant leader as a teacher, as a ruler, as a parent. You are there to serve. And Donald Trump's message, make America great again, is a servant leader message. He says, I want to serve this country and make America great again. But a lot of people don't believe it. They still perceive him as self-serving. That's the problem. That's the way the media portrays it. And, yeah, and it's it's sad because they all look at so many of the media look at, at the negatives and ignore other things. He is a self-serving person. Nobody would give up what he had, what he has to do for this. He has to endure. Oh, every day. I don't know how he does it. Is the only way to be a leader. If you go back to the Bible, who was the greatest servant leader? Well, Obviously, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he uh, washed people's feet. He did this and he did that. So he, he gave he was the role model for a servant leader. Um, but so many people, when I interviewed these thousands of teachers and students in West Virginia um, during the five months that I uh, investigated how education was in that state. So many people came across as self-serving. And as I think back on my career as an educator, I came across as self-serving. I didn't know it at the time. If anybody had asked me, are you here to serve the teachers? And I would have said, absolutely. <laughs> but I came across as self-serving. And that was one of my problems. Um, many leaders Come across as self-serving. If you think of Obama as president, was he self-serving or servant leader? Obviously, he was definitely self-serving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe Biden is self-serving. <laughs> a lot of them. Hillary. I, I don't think. I don't think there's many politicians out there unless we want to get ourselves in trouble. Pete could yeah. say it as me as the journalist on both sides of the aisle. I couldn't say either. I'm just going to be play uh, the middle. But most politicians do not want to lead as a servant. They want to lead in their own self-serving interests and wants. Absolutely. And that's the biggest problem that there is there. Absolutely. So when we're when we're looking at we we've got these. The, the controlling forms of power out there that, that you talk about. Um, we also get into conflicts and managing those conflicts. Oh yeah. And there are different ways to deal with conflicts and manage conflicts. And that's something that you do with when you're in your consulting business, maybe you could give us a little bit of, of your insights into the different ways that 
we could deal with conflict uh, and then ways. how to manage it. There are five ways to deal with the conflict. Each one has a win or a lose. Okay. Trump's primary style is competitive, competitive style. I win, you lose. You look at what he did with the people who ran against him as with his role with the news media, when, when he was the presidential candidate. I mean, he took them all on. I win, you lose. That's okay. his primary style. That's not his only style. If you look at the art of the deal, um, compromise is lose-lose. I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. So each person on each side of the, the style has to give up something. If you look at his negotiations with the North Korean leader, he said, give me your nuclear program, lose, and I will help you make your country a great country. So I'm going to give you something. I'm going to lose something to make your country great, but you've got to give up your. So that's the cooperative style. Now, the collaborative style, which is seldom used in negotiations, it's win-win. Everybody gets what they want. There is no way in Congress today that there's a win-win. No, it's a lose-lose every day. Yeah, it's a lose-lose. The border, uh, the uh, Medicare or uh, Obamacare, uh, there's no win-win there. Uh, he tries to do that, but I don't think it's, I think it's hopeless. There is no win-win. Collaborative. Uh, there's a, uh, an article on the web that I wrote way back when called something with negotiations on the win-win style. And I taught collective bargaining at the graduate level at the University of Akron. And I negotiated for the school board for 20 years as the chief negotiator. And I always tried to get to the win-win, but it was impossible. So the opposite style would come to me with 20 things they wanted. I'd come to the negotiating table with 21 things I wanted. <laughs> so I would trade my wants off with their wants until we got down to the nitty gritty. It was compromise. There was no collaboration, unfortunately. In my, because I think a lot of people look at giving something up as losing. Like you yeah. said, they they look at it. They don't look at it as okay. Look, you have to be willing to negotiate. Obviously, one side is going to want X, and the other side is going to want Y, and somewhere in the middle is where you need to meet. Yeah, and. Unfortunately, in today's political climate, there is almost none of that. It's no. just this is my way or the highway and take it or leave it and nothing gets done. Because and politics is power. Bottom line, it, people get into politics not because they want to change things. They want to gain power in our political system and two party system. It'll never, ever become for service. It'll be about power. That's unfortunate. Yep. Yeah, you're at the nine forms of power. Uh, power is a fascinating uh, concept and the way people use it. And now that you know what the nine forms of power are, information is one of the forms of power that's used a lot in, with the news media, uh, detrimentally. 
Okay. Um, now, the, fast, the most fascinating conflict management style is avoidance. Is what? Avoidance. Avoidance, okay. No, 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 no. That's, that's the fifth one. The fourth one is accommodate. Okay. Okay. Accommodate is I lose, you win. Parents use it all the time with their kids. They give the kids something because the kids want it. And it's not that big a deal. Just let them have it because it makes things a little easier. <laughs> now, with I've not seen Trump use accommodation much. I, I can't put my finger on anything. He doesn't uh, like to lose. That's why. <laughs> Obama? What about Iran? Big lose. Big lose. He gave, they won. How about the Bo Bergdahl? Which one? Bo Bergdahl. We got one. We got that one. Uh, oh, the yeah, the one person for five. Uh, yeah. What kind of negotiating is that? <laughs> How about Cuba? Yeah, not good. What did we get out of the Cuba deal? What did we get out of the Paris Climate Accord? Yeah, nothing. How about uh, when he went over to Saudi Arabia and bowed to the king and kissed his ring? That was mind-boggling. I mean, when it came to foreign relations, Obama gave it away. Accommodate. We lost everything. Well, the apology tour and all of that. Yeah. Um, and then you have avoidance. There's a Jussie thing in Chicago right now. Oh, that makes me sick. I, there, yeah. there, there's going to be something happening there with the FBI investigating that. I'm sure they're going to have uh, to you know, figure something out there because... The Obamas. And Chicago is owned by Obama, right? Yeah, well, they've drawn some... He accommodates uh, right and left. But the crazy thing was, when it came to his dealings with Congress, he was competitive. You guys, I got the pen, I've got the phone, I've got the executive order. You guys can just go screw yourself. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yep. So he used the competitive style a lot. Now, cooperative, I've never known when he used the the uh, cooperative style, compromise style. Anyway, those the secret to being a good leader is when to use the fifth style, which is avoidance. When okay. is it wise to avoid a conflict, and when is it wise to take it on? When you, I think it's it's wise uh, to avoid a conflict when you're going to possibly lose. After yeah. looking at things, that's yeah. when you shouldn't, or you won't win either. That's yes. that. Those two, those are the two areas you won't, you'll lose or you won't win. That's when you avoid a conflict. You're right, Neil. You remember when, uh, this, um, uh, young kid reporter and president Trump were talking about women and right. Yeah. Yeah. You grab them whenever you want. Yeah. Them. If he had avoided that, uh, and he said, what do you mean? Where did you learn? Where did you hear that? 
and he took it right on and he didn't avoid it. If he, there are four ways to avoid a conflict and here they are. Negative assertion, negative inquiry, fogging. Oh, I'm having a senior moment here. I'll come back to it. Negative assertion is if he had said, oh, God, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. I should never have said that. I don't know why I in the world I said that. It was just plain stupidity for me to say that. Negative assertion. Okay. Okay. Negative inquiry is if he had said, let's say you screw, let's say, well, I'm not talking about him now. I'm talking about you all, uh, Pete and Neil. Let's say you screw up. Okay. Somebody says, man, you screwed up. And you say, you're right. What, yes. what would I have done that would have made that better? See, that's a great point. Or would you also say, I'll fix that, don't worry about it, and not be defensive? That's another way, right? That's fogging. That's fogging? the next step. Okay. okay. Negative inquiry says, what could I have done that would have made that better? Which throws the ball back into your accuser's court. Now, they've got to come up with what it is that they think you could have done better. So you are now on their side. You are roping them in. Okay. Fogging is an interesting concept. And I think that's what, Neil, I think that's what you were saying. Let's say somebody accuses you of doing something stupid. And what did you say? Uh, I'll fix it. I'll make it better. I'll make sure I do it. I, I won't do it again. Okay. Um, and well, that that's a good comeback, but negative inquiry is what could I have done better? Because when you say I'll fix it, defining that, yeah. So let me give you an example of that. At least all I messed up uh, a quote for a client, and it's happened a couple times. But I'm doing so many posts for this client that sometimes there's gonna be a typo, right? Especially when you're scheduling and things like that. So I said, I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. Or I will, what can I do differently? Or I will make sure I, or apologize. Apologizing is one of the hardest things to do when you're, you liked conflict and you, with your clients, <laughs> you can never be that apologize and say, and that's it. Leave it at that. Cause I think if you apologize and then say, and make an excuse, you really haven't apologized. Yeah, I, I true. When you have uh, a conflict, I don't like to agree that I am the person who is responsible. I like to throw it back into their court and say, "What would you like for me to have done better?" Throw it back. Well, because nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. That because you don't. But, really. but, but see, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. What if you are wrong? You made the mistake, like this client here. Yeah. Where I mean, I think that she's given me too many different posts to do or stuff, or I've gotten over that's real. We're really nitpicking things when ultimately, if I'm creating the content or coming up with the content, and I make one mistake out of fifty. I apologize, and that's it. Move forward. But why would you think that? you put it back in their court unless you really aren't at fault. I think that's where the definition has to be. Were you really at fault? And I have another story that uh, with a website client that that's it. If I've done nothing wrong 
and I don't want a conflict, I say, well, what can I do better? Right? That's what you're trying to tell us. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Okay. The fourth technique, negative assertion, negative inquiry, um, fogging. Fogging is the interest. I've used fogging probably more than any other to avoid a conflict. Somebody accuses me of doing something stupid. I say, well, you could say that. Boom. And that diffuses it. Well, you know, what are they going to say? You could say that. I never agree with the insult. I say, well, that's possible. That could be. That might be. You could say that. But I never agree with the insult. So you okay. foggy it up. <laughs> you fog, you fog it. Okay. The fourth technique that I have used many, many times with my kids as a principal, a school superintendent, there are various rules that uh, uh, happen in a house. Curfew rules, for example. Curfew is 12 o'clock. Maybe it's 1230. Maybe it's 1215, whatever. The kid comes in and it's after curfew. And, I, and you greet the kid at the house and you say, Curfew is 12 o'clock, and it's now 12.15. The kid says, Dad, you don't understand. On the way home, this is what happened. Kid, curfew is 12 o'clock. Dad, you don't understand. Curfew is 12 o'clock. Dad, curfew is 12 o'clock. Dad, curfew is 12 o'clock. Curfew's broken record. Don't let the kid suck you in. Now, you know, as a principal... We always had teachers who didn't arrive at 7 o'clock to clock in. There was always one or two who were late. Now, when I was the uh, uh, principal, I asked the, the teachers the first day on the job, I said, what do you expect of me as your principal? I gave them three, three, about five cards. I'm the, I'm the servant leader, okay? I'm saying to them, I'm here to serve, I'm listening to you, I want to know what you think, what do you expect of me as your principal? And they write their expectations on these cards, and I sort them in the common piles. Now, parents can do this for their kids. If you've got two or three kids, what do you expect of me as your father? What do you expect of me as your mother? Give the kids three, three by five cards, or four or five, and have them write down what they expect. Find Interesting. Out what they expect. And they I like that. This is what you expect. I'm going, I think I can meet your expectation. Here's one I can't meet. And I would do this with the teachers. One of the expectations they had was that when people came in late, that I would deal with the people who came in late and not chew everybody out at a staff meeting. Okay. So when the teacher who comes in late at 7.15 and check in at 7 o'clock, I would say, you know, Check in at seven o'clock. Oh, on the way in, this check in seven o'clock. <laughs> check in seven o'clock. Broken record. I broken recorded. I never let them get into me. So you got the four ways to deal with to avoid a conflict. Broken broken record, fogging, 
negative inquiry and negative assertion. They are powerful tools. The mark of a good leader is knowing when to avoid a conflict and when to take it on. Trump has not found Trump has not found out how to avoid a conflict. He takes them off. He's going to get good publicity. He knows that he's, it, certain things are going to happen, and there you go. He's set from there, right? Yeah. Well, I'm a supporter of Trump. I don't like all the things he does. And I don't know anyone that likes all the things he does. But I know a lot of people support him. Sure. Um, anyway, that's that's where I am there. Okay. And I don't. I, I agree. With Very you. interesting. I agree. No, that's very interesting because it's, uh, you know, everybody deals with conflict and those, that conflict can take many shapes. It can take many forms. And I think letting people know that, look, there are a bunch of different ways that you can deal with conflict is something that is going to be very empowering. So people that listen to this, people that read your books uh, will get a, a much better understanding. You know, you've got a lot of experience and you've been able to sort of, I think, uh, really do a great job in in being able to define what these different roles are and also through the use of examples people can then go and understand hey this is how maybe i can use this in dealing with a child or dealing with something at work or you know god forbid dealing with something much worse yeah and that's really where you know just having the awareness of what these different things uh can do may save somebody a lot of difficulty at work, difficulty at their job, or difficulty in a, a bad situation. Yeah. Um, the chapter on conflict is chapter two and book two. Um, chapter one in book two deals with the five basic interpersonal communication skills, and we don't have time to go into that. Um, no, we are running the... Uh, out on time here, but okay. you, you have the two books. The one is School Climate and Culture via V Student Learning, right? And at the subtitle of Keys to Collaborative Problem Solving Responsibility, which sounds it's a great title. And I'm sure a book has a lot of great information. And the other one is Enhancing a High Performing School Culture and Climate. Yeah. So, so any one, yeah. who who would be your uh, your target for these books? Educators, teachers, administrators. Oh. The both books are focused on human relations, so there's a lot in both books about servant leadership and human relations. So, so for business people as well, could could gather information. But basically, the books were written for teachers and school administrators. But they also have a place in business because of the different topics that you discuss, which are obviously very appropriate for a business person. Book number two is full of human relations. It deals with a lot with openness and trust. It deals with bullying behavior. And bullying behavior occurs at the office all the time, too. Oh, I I talk about that. Adults are bullied all the time, and we don't yeah. talk about it. But bullying exists between people, between governments, between yeah. countries. Yeah, bullying exists 
on a very very small scale, and it exists on a very very big scale as well. Yeah, we could come we could come back and and do a a uh, talk on bullying because um, I was a victim of bullying. I was five foot four and weighed one hundred twenty five pounds when I graduated as a high school senior. <laughs> yeah, and the small kids are easy to pick on, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but it made me tough. Uh, oh, I'm sure. So, any uh, if uh, if someone's interested in learning more about you, where can our listeners go to learn more and for free? Uh, right. Well, my website is full of all for all of my manuscripts and everything on my website is free. There are six surveys on there that people can get. One measures levels of openness and trust between the leader and the organization and within the organization. One measures bullying behavior. One measures culture and climate in schools. One measures character education in schools. Uh, That's fantastic. Caring behaviors of teachers. So the website is www.westga.edu and then forward slash and then the little tilde symbol uh, C-B-U-L-A-C-H, correct? Correct. Okay, Everything so we'll, we'll make sure we have that in the notes uh, for the show so people can get to that. Uh, as I've, long got as, LinkedIn, um, I've got a LinkedIn account that has a lot of stuff on it. And okay. We'll make called Improving Our Schools. Excellent. That has a lot of information on it. We'll make sure that we put uh, those sites and links I'll get from you as we're done uh, in the show notes. So um, that's a wonderful job hosting this. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, We really appreciate you being here and spending your time. And, uh, you know, thanks for all our listeners for tuning in. And we got a lot of great information from uh, the doctor here and his insights, which are invaluable because of the the experience and what he has been able to do to compile some of this great information. So you can get more information about him at the website. We're going to have in the notes and more information on the latest news about safety at the safetytalkpodcast.com website. So until next week, when we'll have another exciting show for you, we'll be uh, discussing how to balance your child's online privacy with their safety. That should be a great show as well. So until okay. next time, a link to your show and I'll stay safe. Definitely. All right. Sounds good. We'll do. Okay. Bye, Neil. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.